0: Welcome to the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jackie Forsyth, and also co founder of the network. The purpose of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network is to grow, strengthen, and promote research on women in sport and exercise, with the ultimate goal of optimising women's athletic success and their participation. With these podcasts, We wish to bring you information from leading academics who are researching about women in sport and exercise and provide you with advice and support for the exercising female. Please remember our disclaimer that the opinions, content and recommendations contained within our podcast are for general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment or diagnosis. this podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to Kelly McNulty, who is a PhD student at Northumbria University, investigating the effects of the menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptive use on performance, recovery and adaptation in sports women. She has recently launched a project and podcast called The Period of the Period which aims to promote awareness and increase evidence-based education on the topics surrounding women's health and performance in sport and exercise. Kelly in this podcast gave some insights and advice for researchers and practitioners based on the results of her systematic review and meta-analysis on menstrual cycle and its effects on performance and her sister study on oral contraception. We also talked about her Twitter and podcast project as well as her future PhD study and how she has had to adapt it in light of COVID-19. Okay, welcome Kelly. We've got Kelly McNulty here with me who's a PhD student at Northumbria University. So welcome. Thank you for having me. So actually, first of all, could you just tell me a little bit more about your academic journey? Because I think some of our listeners who are wanting to do a PhD might be interested in how you've arrived at that PhD. What have you done before that time? And also, how have you arrived at that particular topic that you're looking at? And perhaps you could explain the topic as well.
1: Yeah so I've always had a keen interest in human physiology and how the body responds to training and exercise and I've always been one of them ones that wanted to support an athlete to like sort of success and just loved everything about sport and so I grew up with a background of playing sport a lot so I was a golfer um, originally and got to quite an elite level but so I've always had this sort of question of how sort of my menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptives have influenced my performance so I kind of got into that space because of that so I did an undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science at Northumbria and then went on to do a strength and conditioning master's again at Northumbria and then a PhD was something I've never even thought about or knew about I'm not from an academic background by any means and it just kind of came up really which I was very lucky and fortunate and had that interest in that area so My PhD is mainly looking at the female athlete and investigating the effects of the menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptives on the likes of performance recovery and adaptation. So, like I said, I got into the space because it was something that had an impact on my health and my performance, but also recognised that bit of a gap there or a bit of a need or an interest in wanting
0: to sort of bridge the research gap. And is it a funded PhD? Do you mind me asking funded yeah yeah uh, is that funded by the university or is it an external funder At university yeah okay so i know as part of your phd you've done these systematic reviews and meta-analyses so one was on the effect of menstrual cycle on performance and the other one was on the effect of oral contraceptive use on sports performance so just the first one on the systematic review meta-analysis on menstrual cycle could you give us a brief overview of your findings on that one?
1: Yeah so the reason we kind of conducted the research in the first place was because This research area was quite highly conflicting. So for instance we had some studies that were showing improved performance in the early follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, the Mm -hmm. middle teals and then we had other studies that just showed no effect whatsoever. So we had this bit of a lack of consensus and researchers hadn't really yet agreed or decided on sort of if it had an effect and what the magnitude of this effect might be. So that kind of provided us with the rationale for the study. So we investigated, like you said, whether the changes in hormone levels across the menstrual cycle affect exercise performance. So this was both strength and endurance. And we did that by finding and analysing all the previous studies um, on the topic so far. So what we found is that the results indicated on that exercise performance might be slightly reduced in some women in The early follicular phase of the menstrual cycle so when oestrogen and progesterone are both low so normally around days one to five when you compare that with all other menstrual cycle phases but it's also important to understand that a large proportion of these studies were low in quality and this was mainly because of the poor like methods required um, needed for menstrual cycle specific research And then additionally, the effect of menstrual cycle on performance was so variable between all the different studies. So when we kind of added this small effect size, the poor quality of the research and then these differences, it meant that we couldn't make these general guidelines on performance across the menstrual cycle. Um, And instead, that's why we recommend that female athletes and those working with female athletes need to track and consider the menstrual cycle and be aware of the potential times where it might be reduced or enhanced, but not assume that the average results apply to them. So I think at the minute, we don't really right now have enough published high quality research to give these sort of blanket guidelines and recommendations. But if that will ever be possible, because women are so, so different. So I don't think we need to be disheartened by the lack of research and we can feel empowered to work with female athletes and female physiology with the knowledge that we do have. So whilst we wait for the scientific community to do more research, we can do things like raise awareness and education around the menstrual cycle and then also start sort of cycle tracking and developing our own athlete guidelines for this so I guess the overall practical message from the reviews as well was to collect your own data and make reasonable adjustments using that evidence base where possible to inform those training and performance decisions sorry that was so (laughs)
0: long-winded No, that was excellent. And it was an excellent overview and really clear, specific guidance as well from that. From that, then, therefore, have you used your own guidance in either practice or further research? Yeah. So in terms of further research, so we
1: kind of set out to do my next future PhD studies with all of the guidelines that we said for methods in that Obviously, we did manage to, at the time, include all of that, but going into now COVID and that affecting everything, we've kind of had to just adapt and go with what we possibly can. So it is a shame that we had all of this high-quality sort of method set out, but it's kind of being reduced and taken back to just sort of what we can do at the minute. And I guess that's kind of something that always might affect this area as much as what just do what you can do. So that is a slight limitation, but also in terms of actually applying the research. So I know and I spoke on different podcasts like this about sort of applying that research and there are people that are now starting to sort of raise that awareness I'll just have a slight idea and coaches want to know more from it um, and then again so tracking the menstrual cycle however that might be for you is enough where you could possibly start to notice those symptoms and how it might affect performance and training but some women aren't affected at all and you see that but then you also see loads of women and girls that are affected I know for myself my performance was definitely affected and through tracking it is something that I've noticed but I guess at that elite level you can't really say oh no I'm I'm not going to perform today when you've got a competition it's more about sort of minimising those effects and then maybe at other times sort of maximising the effect of the menstrual cycle and taking advantage of it if possible.
0: Can I just go back a bit to what you said about the perfect research methodology in terms of menstrual cycle research? Can you explain what that is?
1: Oh, yeah. So basically, when we were looking at our studies, quite a lot of them were low quality because of these menstrual cycle specific factors. For instance, quite a few of the studies where we answered two questions. So was the menstrual cycle confirmed using bloods analysis and was urinary ovulation detection kits used? And basically, very few studies use these. And this is where studies got marked down by quite a bit. So at the end of it, we had these studies that hadn't been using these recommended methods for menstrual cycle research, such as the use of this calendar-based counting method in conjunction with your urinary ovulation detection kits to identify menstrual cycle phase, and then following this up using bloods, estrogen, and progesterone to then verify that menstrual cycle phase. So given the rationale for exploring the effect of menstrual cycle on performance underpinned by these changes in these hormones, it's probably necessary and essential that studies should then accurately verify and make sure that they are in that phase and that from that you
0: can make accurate conclusions. And how have you found that? Because I've done studies on menstrual cycle before and we've done um, urine analysis and we've done blood analysis of estrogen and progesterone. Now, I've got a sample of women and therefore I'm going to have to exclude some of them. So I end up with quite a small sample size. And also, I've had a comment that, well, you're looking at all these women and you've got them down to a really small sample size who are completely eumenorrheic. But then this becomes unrealistic and not applied because you're focusing the research on a minority of women who have perfect cycles Perfect hormones, and for the majority of women, that's not the case. Have you got any answers on that? <laughs> no, not at all, because,
1: like you say, um, every woman is so different and experiences the cycle so differently, and it's so hard to get that sort of perfect menstrual cycle, like you say. And I know Kirsty Elliott Sale refers to it as that unicorn cycle. So, I mean, I know they're not real, we know, but it's just like something so rare that you come across. So. I guess um, that is such a difficult part of it and the applied maybe is getting those women and women in perfect cycles might not actually mean a lot in that real world when there are so many different types of menstrual cycles basically um, but yeah no I totally get what you're saying and from my research yeah so it's been such a it is an added struggle but then I suppose if you're in that area and you enjoy it then it's not it's you enjoy it still yeah. <laughs>
0: So I suppose going on to the meta-analysis and systematic review that you did on oral contraceptive use, can you explain a little bit more about that? But specifically, I suppose, did you have to look or do a sub-analysis on the different types of design? For instance, longitudinal, cross-sectional, or consideration of pill phase, pill withdrawal phase. And in that case, which of those study designs seem to be better or have higher quality or a better outcome?
1: Yeah so it's important to note that when we've been talking about eumenorrheic menstrual cycles that they are open to internal variation like we've been saying amenorrhea as well as that external variation so hormonal contraceptive use. So a recent audit I think it was in 2018 by Martin et al. She showed that almost half of the population surveyed were using hormonal contraception, and the most frequently reported was the oral contraceptive pill. So, while we want to continue our research on the menstrual cycle, you, we also need to KF for sort of this other half of the population because their altered hormonal profile differs significantly from eumenoreic women. And that might impact upon exercise and performance in a different way. So, again, that was the sort of idea behind the oral contraceptive paper. So there was almost a similar story in this sort of sister paper as there were in the menstrual cycle paper. In that results on average indicated that oral contraceptive users might experience a slightly reduced exercise performance when compared to naturally menstruating women. And again, however, the size of this effect was so small, and there was a poor quality of research still, and there was this massive variation in between studies. So, again, that meant the general guidelines could not really be formed and shouldn't really be formed. And then that's why we come to the conclusion again that it's better to take that individualized approach to oral contraceptive use, whereby the focus is on each athlete's response to their oral contraception, as some athletes again might be affected by it, whereas others might not be. And then in addition, we've got all the other factors, such as the reason why they are on the oral contraception, because the consequences of an unexpected pregnancy, for example, might be far greater than that trivial effect that we've just seen, as well as some women go on the oral contraceptive pill to get sort of rid of their menstrual cycle symptoms. So if they're really struggling from that, this trivial effect might be outweighed by what the gains that they get on the oral contraception. Then additionally, we also reviewed exercise performance between pill-taking and pill-free days. So what we saw here was that it didn't change between these pill-free and pill-taking days, meaning that female athletes don't really need to worry about or consider what phase of their oral contraceptive cycle they're in when it comes to performance. So again, it kind of showed that there was no 100% blueprint to say, do this, do that. And it's more about problem solving and being creative and finding out what works best for you. But as you touched on a little bit regarding the sort of different types of research designs. So basically, we'd set out and we'd found observational trials. So the current review was primarily conducted on those non randomized observational trials, which is a limitation. And randomized controlled trials are the perfect design to investigate that potential influence. So, in this case, or contraceptives on exercise performance but it is so difficult to implement in this population. And this is because you're either a habitual OC user or or you're not. And we did identify one study that did use this design and then a further two studies that were these um, longer longitudinal interventions. But again, these were showing conflict in research and there wasn't enough to run a meta-analysis on them. But they do sort of represent so these change from inactive to oral contraceptive use in the same individuals, which is a stronger research design, and when you compare it to these sort of cross-sectional observational studies, so that we used in our review. But again, this comes with ethics of whether you can withhold an oral contraceptive from someone that uses it, and then so that's probably why this sort of type of design is so rarely employed as well as all of the different standardization and controlling them and I think it's something that will probably limit this area for the foreseeable
0: future really. Would you say though that it's most acceptable to use a cross-sectional design? Yeah. If you had to choose between the different designs there were that's the one that you would probably recommend?
1: Yeah yeah I think so yeah definitely just those longer ones are just I mean and yeah they're perfect and they're great but I'm not sure how many people would be able to get the funding and get all of that to be able
0: to conduct one of them, yeah. And you said there wasn't a difference between the pill phase and the pill withdrawal phase. What happens in terms of estrogen and progesterone during those phases that means that there is no difference? Is it because there's no change in endogenous hormones during the pill withdrawal phase?
1: Yeah, so I think what was quite interesting is that because in that routine, in the menstrual cycle paper we saw a reduction in reduced performance in that phase where there's low progesterone low estrogen and it was nice that the sort of oral contraceptive paper also mirrored this so when you because the basically the oral contraceptive pill sort of flatlines these endogenous estrogen and progesterone so again you saw that and because they do sort of slightly start to rise during this withdrawal bleed but again not enough to sort of even the early follicular phase so it is very mirrored and they both do sort of come together nicely to explain the effect of these endogenous hormones and that together when they're low, maybe this is the reason behind that sort of reduced exercise performance.
0: Just going back then to just one more question, if you don't mind, about the outcome. So in terms of strength-based performance and endurance-based performance, because you did a sub-analysis on those, did you find any difference According to the results on performance across menstrual cycle phases, for instance.
1: Yeah. So we basically didn't see any difference between strength and endurance, and that's why we grouped together basically our analysis. So we did set out to run this sub-analysis of strength and endurance, and then we even wanted to break it down further into the different types of strengths, different types of endurance performance. But when it came down to it, when we grouped them together, we saw the same effect no matter what. So. Um, The stats was all behind Paul Swinton he was an absolute whiz. We didn't (laughs) half the time it was above our heads, but he was great at explaining things. And basically we we ended up grouping together because there was no reason to suggest that without them grouped together or with together. There was a difference, really.
0: So I want to switch now. So thanks for all that really insightful information. I'm sure people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more, particularly about your study design and your research findings, both in a research sense and in an applied sense as well. So thanks very much for that. If you don't mind, I'm just going to move on to your prolific Twitter profile. (laughs) Now, I only know this not because I go on Twitter an awful lot. I'm really ashamed to say that I don't go on it that much because I consider my Twitter account to be work related. So anything that I do outside of work time tends to be on the Instagram, <laughs> I'm a Facebook, I'm more, you know, looking at those types of feeds rather than my Twitter feed. But I know that you're really prolific on Twitter um, for the period of the period. How did that come about? And how did you get so prolific? And how do you manage to maintain that level of motivation to keep posting things?
1: Yeah, so I guess With more women participating in sport and exercise, our understanding on how we need to sort of optimise women's performance must also increase. So like the male counterparts, we want to get stronger, faster, achieve PBs, break world records. So whether you're at an elite level or recreational level, you do want to improve. And generally speaking, we're still relatively not confident and uncomfortable about talking a lot of these women specific topics so as well as this lack of high quality research we've also got a lot of misinformation about these menstrual cycles hormonal contraceptives so that's kind of why i launched the period of the period and attempt to change that sort of narrative um, by promoting awareness and increasing that evidence-based education so like you say we are on Twitter and Instagram and mainly I share a lot of the research that I was reading and then I kind of used it as sort of my progression so I was reading and making notes and I thought actually there's probably people that would actually like to hear about this research and it's not really relatively heard about so that's kind of where that come from and then also like you say I'm in the middle of recording um, some episodes with great guests for its own podcast very soon so we cover topics like the menstrual cycle hormonal contraceptive breast health pregnancy menopause so it is really exciting to sort of move out of this area of menstrual cycles and hormonal contraceptives as well to that sort of different area. so it has been really really something that i love doing at the minute yeah
0: does that form part of your phd or is it just something that you like doing
1: no, it's just sort of thing that I like doing And like I say, I was reading the research in that area and all the studies and it just wasn't sort of available to just general athletes, recreationally or even their coaches. So I just thought it was a nice way to transition that research into
0: sort of practice almost. And where else is your research going then? Because you said that COVID-19 has put a little bit of a halt on actual data collection within the lab. What is the change that you're going to make? What is your next steps and what is your steps after you've completed your PhD? Yeah so the
1: two reviews that we chatted about basically formed that basis of my PhD um, and then my research was going to go on to investigate the effects of the menstrual cycle and or contraceptive use on the responses to and the recovery from a resistance training session and how this might potentially influence that potential to adapt. So Recovery is obviously an essential part of training and oestrogen has been shown to have all these different physiological effects on the sort of recovery processes, Um, although there's not a lot of research in this area looking at recovery at all. So, but the data that we do have available does suggest that there could be an effect. And that's why it was an avenue worth exploring further. So, like I said, we made a nice start to this research before we all got hit with Corona and labs have been closed since March. And we have had to adapt slightly. So we're hoping to move to a home based programme. And it's a lot different from what we had planned, but it's still exciting. So, yeah.
0: Do you still have to get the women into the lab for pre and post test measures then?
1: Um, No, so we did have originally had a lot of (laughs) sciencey measures, including biopsies and lots of neuromuscular measures. But unfortunately, we've had to just really sort of strip it back to the basics of the recovery questionnaires that we've got menstrual cycle symptoms. So it's took a definitely different approach, but it is something that's still going to answer a great question. And it's still
0: really exciting to be part of really. Are you able then in that case, on a home based situation to analyse anything to do with estrogen and progesterone because I believe there are some test kits that you can get for home use as well as obviously the urine samples for ovulation. Yeah so we did we've,
1: we've had such a massive meeting after sort of suggesting all these high quality stuff needed to be done and saying that this is what we need and then sort of taking the hit really from it um, so basically we are still using the urine ovulation detection kits to identify ovulation. The only thing that we can't really do is confirm that they were in that cycle and um, we thought about using saliva and all the different measures like you said but once we kind of recommended in the reviews this is the way, or these aren't great so we kind of basically sort of set it for, us- for ourselves really. So. Um, we're not going to measure bloods and stuff from that, which is an obvious limitation. And we we'll hold our hands up and say that already. But yeah, it's just kind of what we can do at the minute. Did you start collecting the data
0: or hadn't you started?
1: Yeah, so we had col- started collecting. So we started sort of just before, well, um, December last year. So we had had a few through and a few halfway through and then lots familiarised. So it was going well and it it did seem like we were going to get there and then everything just went to a massive halt. So <laughs> I'm sure everyone's in the same position really, research wise. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean I am. Um, and I just wonder what other people are doing with those bits of data that they've collected because you know you've put all an effort into it. I mean it might have been a longitudinal study that you've done halfway through that's a four year study and you've got two years of data. What do you do with all that information? I don't know if you've got any yeah. answers. Are you doing anything with the data that you've already
1: collected? no not at the minute obviously we've got the people that were finished and um, there wasn't really enough of them and and um, the people that were halfway through I'm not sure we can really if we can just pick up straight from where they were because a lot of training would have changed and everything like that so probably not something that's feasible especially the amount of time that's went on since March so it's kind of like if that study comes up again it would be from a entirely clean slate which is strange but yeah
0: <laughs> maybe we there's something in that maybe we could have a, a blog page on incomplete research that seems to look like it's okay but it's got small sample sizes or only halfway through or something like that but you know it was worth it yeah just to make us all feel better about the fact that we've done some stuff but couldn't finish it so after your PhD and I'm sure you're going to be really successful you've been so eloquent in the way you've talked today what are your goals then yeah, that's such a big question.
1: Um, I guess I've kind of always been someone that just focuses on the now and then try to make the best of the situation that I'm doing now and hopefully open opportunities for myself in the future. Um, I love this area and I love being involved in it, whether it's research or the practical side. Um, like I said, I never knew anything about a PhD until I was sort of riding that roller coaster, but I do love the whole academic side as well. So it's really exciting, really. <laughs>
0: Okay, excellent. Well, thanks very much for speaking to me today. It's been great. You're extremely knowledgeable about the uh, research that you've done and the area that you're working with. I'm sure in the future you're going to have massive success. I enjoy looking at your um, Twitter profile. I'll have to start looking at the Instagram one, but like I said, I don't really like to bring academia into my personal (laughs) feed. Um, But Excellent podcast and many thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you very much.